Well, good morning. It's not raining in here. It's warm in here. I am glad to be with you and be with you in here. Uh, my name's Rick, and I'm finishing off a three-week series when we've kind of looked at most a, a, a past, a present, and a future perspective on this whole thought of becoming a new person in a new family on a new mission, which corresponded with our releasing the trellis, which is a, a tool that we've made available for that journey for our people in our church. And so we began with this. When I was 22 years old, living in Chattanooga, young man, had my first root canal. Didn't have any idea what we were doing, what we were up to. I'm just trusting the guy. So he gets to the place where it's time to snip this, this uh, nerve so we can get on with the process. He said, hey, some people don't need anesthesia for this. Some people, it's just so fast, they just like get it done. You don't have to shoot anything. Well, later I would question, did he like, is he a paramilitary dentist? Because he field dressed me. And I'm a 22-year-old young man with a foggy testosterone brain, so I'm like, bring it on, until he touched that nerve. Oh, to this day, there are two things that happen as a result of that moment. One, I do not carry a weapon. And two, I tell every dentist, make it a double. Whatever you shoot, you shoot that thing, buddy. I'm gonna close out this series looking to the future. And I cannot help, nor would I try to rescue you from having a nerve exposed, but not for harm, for healing. We began this series and, and RD talks about our past and, and how it's a part of what's going on. And some of you, many of you, and me too, are carrying things. There's, there's hurt and failure and fear and there's patterns and there's loss and there's maybe trauma and all kinds of things. And in fact, I think we're all in some kind of trauma because we weren't made to live in a broken world. For some, it's much more intense from abuse, near death, et cetera. And there's just times when numbing, it's not enough. Oh, we try, but it starts to kind of surface. And, 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 and when it starts to surface, what we need is hope that this can be healed. But you know what our past says to us? Don't go there. Mm-mm, mm-mm, don't go there. As Morgan Freeman, the character read in the movie Shawshank Redemption, and oh Lord, give me Morgan Freeman's voice, said, Red said this, hope is a dangerous thing. Your past is gonna push you against hope. JC talked last week about our present, and he talked about having confidence to, to move forward in life as who we are without having to perform. It's not on us to make it happen. We can just move forward with confidence. Man, don't you long for such hope? Man, I get that way. I talk myself into it. I'm strong. I'm a follower of Jesus. I've got hope. I'm redeemed. Here we go. And then something happens. Sometimes it's a, a doubt criticism, feeling unsafe in a relationship. You may find yourself like me. You get in your life and you white knuckle. You get in a cycle of white knuckling to have hope that you can be confident. And over time, you just get weary and worn. And as if carrying that was not enough, when we think about our future, for some of us in this room this morning, let's acknowledge, when you look at your future, all you can see is uncertainty. 
All you can feel is loss coming at you. Your marriage, your family, your health, your finances, your dreams for what your children's lives would be. Whether you're facing your life or facing your death, there's this anxiety, there's this dread, and you just don't want to go there, honestly. Who wants to look at that honestly? So our past, our present, and our future calls out to us, what is your hope? Now, some of you are like, hey, I'm actually doing really well. Like today, this day, I am feeling strong in my hope in Jesus. I'm feeling confident. And we should celebrate that because we want to have those moments. We want to have those seasons. Yet we all know, because I had one Monday, and then Tuesday came. And I lost it. Just slipped away. How does it slip away? How, what, what, how, how do we find healing and, and not think we're being harmed by being exposed for our need to grow in our hope? How do we avoid numbing it out with everything from alcohol to religious activity to porn to uh, over-concern with what people think about us? I am 61 years old. I turned 62 in March, and this I know. I mentioned it to you. Uh, in December, I'm going to drop a podcast. Lauren and I are going to drop a podcast on Tuesday. We'll talk more about this if you want to learn more. But here's what I know. Our lives and our future are a war for hope. I know it because I live it. And man, What a better guy to set up a framework for us to understand how it is we win this war and why winning this war is so important than just one verse from 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Now, R.D. has has, has told us this story a good bit two weeks ago. If you haven't heard it, you want to hear it. It's about Peter's failure. It's about his denial. It's about all the ways he just, I mean, is there a, could you have messed this up more? Short of being Judas, could you have messed this up more? And then Jesus bringing Peter back in and intentionally touching that pain and that memory and calling it forth to bring him into hope and to a new place and a new life. Peter knows what it's like to live with your past rising up and accusing you. Of your past usurping your hope. He knew what it was like to be horribly alone, afraid, self-condemning, and lost hope. He knew what it was like to try to perform his way through it, to gain his confidence in himself and the flesh. I mean, my gracious, he's constantly correcting Jesus' theology. And his purpose. He also understands the future because if you go further in uh, the book of John at the end, what uh, Jesus says to Peter, said, hey, Peter, when you get older, I'm gonna take you somewhere you don't wanna go. He's not just got the past and the present. And you can watch him, he struggles all through the New Testament with the present. He knows, we're now in First Peter, it's been 30 years and he knows he's been given a martyr's death sentence. He's living with that. He knows it's not gonna end on his terms and end well. So he writes to a people who were just before Nero's persecution, where the the burners just dialing it up. You can just feel it. 
You talk about a new people. They're the first generation of the church. They're Greeks and Jews, and they're living in what's now modern Turkey. They don't know half of what they're doing. They don't have a podcast to listen to on how to do this. They don't have seminary-trained people. They don't even have a generation before them to say, here's what a church, here's what you do. They're out there in a, a, an, a, 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 an oppressive, increasingly violent culture with no idea what to do. And so Peter begins with this. He gives them uh, 12 verses on the, the great salvation that we have. And then he says this, therefore, because of this great salvation, because that is your hope. Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Turn and look nowhere else. Hope in no other place. Do not expect this world to give you what you want. Do not expect things to get better. Hope. He uses very strong language here. The, the, the preparing your minds for action is the same language as Ephesians 6.14, which is translated, stand firm, having girded your loins with truth. It's military language. Get yourself prepared mentally for the reality that you're facing. Joseph Parker, a commentator, said this, it is being thoroughly courageous and genuine and sincere. This isn't just, hey, I got an idea. Maybe this will work. This is knowing who you are and whose you are and why you are and where you are and being ready to do something about it. It is, in the language of the physical, your core strength. That's where it comes from, your core strength. And being sober-minded. This is a, a an, it's, it's like clarity. It's an evenness. It's, it's, there's no anxiety. There's no reactivity. There's just a presence. It's steadfast, and it's unwavering. Imagine a, an environment where there's like this escalating tension, either between a couple of people or groups of people. I don't have to imagine. I was in uh, a community in Israel on the, what's called the Day of Rage a few years ago. And on one end, <laughs> this is actually a little humor says an aside, they have the, there's these horses coming through with all the military. And my wife said, hey, a parade. No. We realized quickly as we were ushered into our restaurant by Arab friends with our Jewish friends that one in the street would be one group of people, and the other in the street would be the other group of people, and they hated each other. And in the middle were the police trying to de-escalate what was happening. This passage says we are to be the people who de-escalate the voice of reason. As an aside, I'll mention later, don't you think that would be a good idea right now? Set your hope fully on the grace. In the word there is perfectly. Just have, Spurgeon says it's just like perfectly. There's no other word. There's no other hope. It's fully on the grace, 100% on him. And the way I describe this is it's a calling to move forward with a purposeful life based on our core strength of what is true and our voice of reason. And that is what it looks like to move forward with hope. When I talk about hope, it's not a feeling. Although it generates feelings. And losing hope generates feelings. Hope is a conviction. It is something at the root of who we are. And you are so made for it that you will either find your hope in him 
or a substitute or just numb yourself completely out because you can't live without some of it. It's a hope for what's in you, clarity and courage. It's a hope for what's through you. The presence of the person and power of Jesus is to move into the world through you. What Paul said, you are the Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is hope from self-protection against the world to living vulnerably, vulnerably in it to serve it. A hope from being angrily entangled in all the mess to being a peaceful oasis for the thirsty. It's a hope from looking the other way to seeing and moving towards the pain and the problem with grace and truth and love and justice. And I will assure you, it is a battle every day to live in that kind of hope. It is for me. It has been this week. Some of you have heard me say often, every time I preach a sermon, I have to live through it the week before. This is what I've been living through which is why my next sermon will be on prosperity and health. <laughs> I'm just saying, can I get one in 21 years? You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> Two words form the battle line. I want you to remember these words. You can't afford to forget these words. Will you, will you work with me to, for, to not forget? Will you commit to me to try to remember? Well, what are the two words? You'll know when I get done. I'm gonna read a bunch of scriptures. I'm reading it for the, the weight of the whole. Don't get too caught in particular one passage. Now, just feel the weight of the whole. Now, this is Moses writing to the people in Deuteronomy. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. You feel that girding? Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. For the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor, but you who held fast to the Lord your hope in him. The Lord your God are alive, all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as the law that I, have, that I set before you today? Only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things you have seen Unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life, make them known to your children and your children's children. Here's what the Psalms have to say about this people Moses is leading. They made a calf in Horeb and worshiped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. They tested God again and again and provoked the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember 
his power or the day when he redeemed them from the foe, when he performed his sons in Egypt and his marvels in the fields of Zoan. That's for Moses. How about David and Solomon? 1 Kings 2. When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon, his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies as is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish the word that he spoke concerning me saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel, which Solomon did for a season. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart from after other gods and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. If you understand Old Testament history, you understand how dark this is. Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites. I could be, I'm not going to, I could be so graphic and tell you about what these gods are about. It's evil. The mountain east of Jerusalem, and so he did this for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifice to their gods. Solomon forgot. All he had to do was remember. Gideon, the, Midi the Midianites were, were flying in all over the place. They were like the uh, locust in a bug's life. Literally, read, read Judges. It's what happened. They flew in, they took everything, and then they went off. And they took the crops every year, year after year, and they destroyed the people until they were starving to death. And God gave Gideon in this miraculous, incredible thing that happened. And he, and he rescued the people in this way, remarkable way. Because why? Because it says they got so desperate, they even turned to God. All they had to do was just take a look, and he's like, I'm there, man. I'm I am on it. As soon as Gideon died, the people turned again and whored after the Baals and made Baal perish their God. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. They just didn't remember him. And they did not show steadfast love to the family of Jeroboam. But that's Gideon. They in return for all the good he'd done to Israel. They, they even forgot who Gideon was. Here's some things Isaiah has to say about the people. For you have forgotten the God of your salvation and have not remembered the rock of your refuge. Therefore, though you plant pleasant plants and, and sow the vine branch of a stranger, though you make them grow on the day that you plant them and make them blossom in the morning that you sow, yet the harvest will flee away in a day of grief and incurable pain because you've forgotten and you just can't remember. And I will scatter you, he says in Jeremiah, like chaff driven by the wind from the desert. This is your lot, the portion I've measured out to you, declares the Lord, because you have forgotten me and trusted in lies. And lastly, therefore, thus says the Lord, ask among the nations, who has heard the like of this? He's literally saying, this is astonishing. Has anybody ever heard anything like this? The virgin Israel has done a very horrible thing. Does the snow of Lebanon leave the crags of Syrian? 
Do the mountain waters run dry, the, the cold flowing streams? Or do they cease to be who they are and abandon their very life? But my people have forgotten me. They make offerings to false gods and they, they made them stumble in their ways in the ancient roads and to walk into side roads, not the highway, making their land a horror, a thing to be hissed at forever. And everyone who passes by it is horrified and, and shakes his head. And we begin with Moses saying, man, if you'll just remember him, the people will say, what an incredible people. And we end with them forgetting them and say, what a horrific, devastating, destructive mess. Now you sit with that for just a moment. And you reckon with me how important it is to remember and not forget. The war for hope is not about you. It's about you remembering who he is, who you are, why you are his, so you know why you are here. And when we forget God, we worship false gods. And we remember God, we worship the true God. And there is no, it's a watershed line. There's no gray. When our souls remember and turn to him, he's like, and when we forget, we chase after the false idols. Now, the forgetting is a sensitive subject in my family. I have issues with forgetting. Uh, this is a screenshot of my Tile app. Um, so I'll explain to you what Tile is. There are these little, little things that you put on something or attach to something, and then if you leave it somewhere, you just push your phone, and it tells you where it was, and you go get it. Um, you say, why did you call your backpack Nash? I call all my back, I name all my backpacks after point guards. It's, it's just my thing, okay? So, uh, you see, I, I bought a wallet that's one of those clips so I could put a, a, a one on there. Uh, I bought a journal, my journal has an app, has a tile in it. I actually have nine tiles. <laughs> I also pay for a service that tells me every time I leave, get in my car or leave work whether or not I have everything with me. My beloved... Hydro flask has a Kyle right in here because I left two and had it not been for the graciousness of the pastoral staff, my wife would never allow me to have another one. Okay, I went a little overboard when I bought her a tile necklace for Christmas. But I said, hey, honey, I don't want to lose you. No, I didn't do that. I'm just kidding. It's been good for my marriage in every way, though, to not be forgetting everything. But you know what? I use the app every day. I literally will not get through the day without pressing the app to find something that I cannot find because I cannot remember where I put it. Getting old is not helping, which by the way, I was reminded of one of our, uh, I was sitting in, in uh, just here in the office last week, talking to a young mom with her three kids and the six-year-old turned to me, just, just blurted out in the middle of my conversation, boy, you are really old. <laughs> I didn't mention that it was the child of a staff, a former staff member. I'm sorry, a former staff member. No, nah, she's right. I'm like, I said, you know what I said? I said, honey, you have no idea. So what do I have to do? I gotta be like a, I gotta find a tile. You know what my tile is? It's the word of God to tell me where I am and to keep me from losing hope. 
Because I can't remember by myself, and I got a whole Bible full of evidence that the flesh doesn't remember. So if you, if you have a copy of our trellis, this book that, that we've shared with you as a part of your spiritual journey, it's not the Bible, but it starts with truth. Because that's where you gird things. It's how you remember. I speak to my soul often, as I did this week, for about two days. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And that's what I would say to your tender, exposed nerve. You'll hope in him again when you remember. And if you have not orchestrated your life to keep remembering, I promise you, you are losing hope. Period. Well, how do you know when you're losing hope? Well, it's pretty easy. You forget God, you worship false God, and you chase all the seen stuff. You just go after everything that you can see. When you remember God, you rest in the unseen. This isn't all there is. There's another story. My story is his story, and his story is it's largely unseen. Do not love the things of the world or things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. My wife was recently a pod, uh, guest on our podcast. She's always the most popular person. I said, honey, you should do a podcast. More people want to hear you than me. We had her on there, and we talked about sex, power, and money, the idols of the heart, and why they're there. Because this is the flesh. This is what we do. These are well-worn paths. So in some reading I was doing this week, I read a book called The Path of Least Resistance. I'm, not, I'm gonna use the illustration differently than the author would, but it's so appropriate. This is a, uh, a map of Boston. I love Boston, I love it. There's not a lot of rhyme or reason to that. You know what I'm saying? Like not, Chicago, my favorite city is grid. East, west, north, south. Boston's just, it's like East Tennessee. This extraordinarily gifted educator and leadership developer said this, the reason they're like that is because all the roads in Boston have been laid on cow paths and cows don't walk up hills. They go around them. Boston city planning is based on 17th century cattle and their well-worn paths. And so is the culture you're living in. Path of least resistance, even though all the evidence says this is not going to take you where you want to go. Paul said, so we do not lose heart, though we, our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction, this seen thing, this struggle, this pain, this hurt, this loss, this grief, this is all preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. When we are externally focused because we are chasing the idolatry of the flesh, anxiety goes through the roof. 
Now, I'm not saying if you have anxiety that you are forgetting God. Just I've been very honest about my own struggles with anxiety. They're real. You know what the cure is? Remembering God and working through how I got there. And so it's required counseling and friends and a lot of things, a lot of work, a lot of family to get through this. So I'm not minimizing, like if you're anxiety today, I'm not throwing shame bombs at you, please. That's not of the Lord, that's of the enemy. We all are in some way. But I'm telling you this, you wanna increase your anxiety? Live as if you are alone in the world and there is no unseen God who's in charge of the story. That's why Jesus said, therefore do not be anxious, saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows you need them all. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the day for the day is its own trouble. I love how scriptures tell you the truth. Hey, yeah, don't be anxious. It's gonna be hard. It's gonna be hard. But there's a way in remembering God to continually move through and to know I am not alone in the world. But can I tell you this? If you're not remembering God, if you're forgetting God, you are alone in the world in terms of your life experience. That's part of what happens to you. This past stuff RD is talking about it, it still doesn't know it's not alone. These patterns still think you gotta follow the cow path. Not been awakened to the spirit. We all have things in us. They're layers. They're just not awakened to the spirit. I'm, again, I'm 61, and I, every day I'm finding new things that just aren't awakened to the spirit, and I plan to do that till I'm gone. No one wants to believe we're alone. When DeMar Hamlin lays on that field, everybody in America starts praying. And all that did, besides give God a chance to do a miracle, is reinforce the fact we're not paying attention to the reality of the story. That's there all the time. We just happened to see it on national TV in a place that was supposed to be a safe escape for us. Here's how our security gets deepened. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written? For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. This is not rosy. This is not Paul saying, hey, you know, things will kind of work out if you just kind of hang in there. He's like, actually, things are really, really bad here right now. But in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Why did Jesus say, I won't leave you as orphans? because we're all afraid we've been orphaned. And parts of us still don't know that we aren't. So we remember God and we worship him and we rest in this unseen world and it deepens our security and our placement of our hope begins to create two diff very different kinds of lives. One where we forget God that leads down this path, one where we remember God that leads down this path. And it's a daily battle to remember. In our podcast this week, as Lauren and I talked about the war for hope, I said this. I didn't know I said it. I really think it's true. I just didn't know I said it. That's what happens to me in podcasts. I get kind of unleashed and not filtering everything. 
We talked about the forgetting and the remembering, and I said, I am drawn to those idols. I am drawn to pleasure. I'm drawn to comfort. I'm drawn to esteem. I'm drawn to success. I'm drawn to look at the people and look at my performance. I'm drawn to those things, and it is a battle within me to turn and look to the Lord Almighty as my only hope. But learning to win that battle, I must. Or I just wander around on all the well-worn paths, and here's where they lead. The works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Just a comment. It's not saying if you've done that or if you're struggling with an addiction that somehow he's kicked you out the door. What he's saying is these are not the things that lead to the kingdom of God and you need to deal with them. If they're there and they're real, it can be a lifelong struggle, but you can't walk away from that. But here's the thing. If you forget God, you, can't, you literally can't help but do this stuff. It might, you might Christianize it so nobody sees it or knows what it is, but it's there. It's working its way out. Look at our culture. It's all coming hard, all of this. It's foolish. If we don't understand, we literally can't help ourselves when we forget God. But when we remember him, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have pursued crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We've remembered who he is and what worship is and what it means to be his, which means we don't want to live as those who've forgotten. We want to stay in to pay attention to our walk. And again, from the beginning, I told you this. These are not words based on you going to a group of people that you already like who agree with all of your politics to reinforce to each other how much we love Jesus and trust him because we all agree what that passage said. Nothing wrong with agreeing what the passage said, but what's it asking you to do? Who's it asking you to be? Where's it asking you to turn? These truths should gird us for action. They should cause us to be the voices of reason, and they should lead us to demonstrate there's only one hope. Now, I'm gonna take a 30 second aside and it's a risk, but I, I, I have to do this. I know it's Sanctity of Life Sunday, and different people handle that in different kinds of ways. If you wanna know, if you're new to fellowship, you're trying to figure us out, or you wanna know the depths of this, we put together podcast teaching last year. We've addressed this very thoroughly, and we're not the kind of church that just kinda, of, simply because that's the day or something, we do something. So I don't want you to be misinformed. You can find out all about who we are, okay? And I want you to. And I want you to understand, these are the things we need to be attentive to, because we've gotta find a better way through this abortion life issue. I choose these words carefully. The conservative religious Christian far right and the progressive Christian religious far left are in a power struggle and they're trying to take everybody with them. That's the truth. And you're in a country that's divided all, all kinds of lines, generational, socioeconomic, geographic, racial, and things like this become a lightning rod where it all gets dumped in. 
Brothers and sisters, as new people in a new family on a new mission, let's find a better way to express the hope that our scriptures value the life of the unborn and our scriptures value the dignity and the rights and the freedom and the life of a woman. And only an enemy who wants to divide us would turn them against each other and us against each other. There is a better way. And it's not just that. There are a thousand things coming at us. We are in 1 Peter. The heat is turning up. And there's reasons for it. I can do all kinds of things you want to do this, but here's what I would tell you. If we live by the Spirit, let's also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. There is a way forward where we stay on these truths and we're girded for these truths and we're the voice of reason and we're compassionate and we're strong and we're unwavering, but we do not allow the world and politics to dictate our rules of engagement. Because the natural progression of forgetting God is the work of the flesh. And the natural progression of remembering God is the fruit of the Spirit. So can I just ask you this? When you start struggling and messing up and things aren't going so well, don't just white knuckle and try to be like this. Start, surrender, be vulnerable to his vulnerable heart. Turn towards him, he's turned towards you. Gosh, I have so much more to say, but I need to bring us to a place. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food for your soul. There's a banquet, people, waiting on you, right? It's not a physical banquet. That's on the other end. There's a banquet awaiting your heart. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed. When I go to bed at night remembering, when I wake up in the morning remembering and I have to retell myself the gospel story. Why do we in this church over and over and over again teach the gospel, teach the word because we have, we forget and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. Because here's the deal, when we forget God, we spend our time filling ourselves with our hope, which leads to emptiness. And when we remember God, we empty ourselves of our hope, which leads to fullness. So my wife has been after me for a couple of weeks. She says, we need to watch the movie Till. I know, but you understand. If you've read my sports novel, if you spend any time, if you know my community, you'll understand what that's like for me. I'm not saying it's not like it for you. I'm just telling you it's tender. So I watched it. And um, I physically shook. I absorbed so much in my body in that movie. I'm still working through it. But at the end, the character who plays uh, Mamie Till Mobley has a speech, and I'm like, how much of that is true? And I found her last public speech. By the way, this is her. 
with her son's picture behind me. Here's her last thing she said. This is hope. This is first Peter. This is the gospel. God is source of my strength and the reason for my being. In 1955, when my only child was killed, it seemed that there was nothing for me to live for. I wanted to die, but in the midst of that planning, the Lord spoke to me and he told me not to spend my time hating the perpetrators of this crime because they would not even know that I was hating them and the things would be released and those things would be released into my body and eventually destroy me. And while I was pondering that statement, another thing was spoken to me. God said, I am the ruler of the, I am the ruler of heaven and earth. I see all things. I am commissioning you to go into the vineyard and work. And what is right, I will pay. And don't forget, vengeance is mine. A wonderful thing happened to me, she said. It, it seemed like someone took a giant eraser and my mind had become a chalkboard and all the memories of Mr. Milam and Mr. Bryant were erased from my thoughts, the killers of her son. I was able to go out in the vineyard and work as I was commissioned to do. Truthfully, I say that for 47 years, I have not wasted any time hating. I think we can do this. Mamie shows us the way, along with all the saints and all who have remembered. Will you stand with me? And let's declare our remembrance that in spite of the evidence that we are still in this war for hope, he is the faithful one.